episode nine of Perspective, everyone. My name is Molly. I am one of your hosts. My co-host, Logan, unfortunately, could not make the show today. But I have a very special guest that I'm super excited about. Uh, But before we get into that, I did want to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in so far. Thank you to everyone who listened to us get really emotional on uh, episode eight about some of our favorite bands. Super excited that people are are digging it. And thanks to everyone who's tweeted about the show and, you know, reached out to us and said you enjoyed it so far. But anyway, our guest for this episode is Sheridan Allen. Sheridan runs an organization called Punk Talks. And if you are not familiar with Punk Talks, you should be. Mental health is an incredibly important topic in the music industry. And what Sheridan does with Punk Talks is pretty unique in that she's actually working to directly provide mental health services and therapy to musicians and people in the industry, which I think is really cool. So Sheridan, for people who are maybe a little unfamiliar, can you explain what exactly it is that Punk Talks and what you do? I sure can. Um, Thank you for that glowing introduction, Molly. Um, (laughs) So uh, like you said, Punk Talks is an organization um, and it's a volunteer run organization. So myself and um, all my staff are all volunteers and we work to directly provide professional therapy services to professional musicians and music industry workers. We also do uh, therapy referrals for people who just might not be able to find therapy in their area. We do a lot of education and awareness about uh, the importance of mental health treatment, especially in the music industry, and just, um, you know, kind of advocacy about mental illness in general. Um, And we talk a lot about bands that we love. We think that um, the alternative music industry is, for some reason, a really overlooked community uh, of people that are in need of treatment. So we are just trying to kind of meet people where they're at and make sure that every single human being in the universe has a therapist. No, it's fantastic. And I, I think that uh, it's important what you guys are doing. And I think it's it's interesting that you say that, you know, you feel that the alternative music community is overlooked, because I definitely agree that it is. But You know, I'll say like from my own perspective of being involved in this community, both as someone who's a journalist, a writer, a photographer and does this podcast and, you know, has a day job in the industry, you know, this community is definitely in need of mental of mental health help. I mean, (laughs) you know, you obviously obviously there's there's so many bands that talk about it in their music. But why? I mean, do you have any thoughts on like why it's overlooked? Um, I think really um, when I. I mean, this is a question I've kind of been trying to answer myself, Um, and when I think about it, like, I kind of draw back to my own experiences as a fan. Like, I have, I mean, I entered the industry as a fan only. Um, I didn't, I had absolutely no, like, experience when I uh, started doing punk talks. Like, my experience is all in social work, so... um, I just kind of think about my own experiences. Like I'm, uh, my favorite band is brand new. Um, so <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of a stressful time to be a brand new fan. Like just always. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. I'm not, uh, so for, for anyone listening, you should know that, uh, Logan is a huge brand new fan. I am oh. <laughs> not, but, uh, on the, on the day that science fiction came out, uh, Logan quite literally went so far as to text me a Dropbox link wow. to the album. 
Um, I still haven't listened yet because I've had just like so much to listen to. But yeah, I, I can imagine it's <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, it's always stressful it's like- to be a brand new fan. But um, and honestly, I have not listened to the new album yet. Um, I do this thing. It's I mean, it's definitely because of my high functioning anxiety. Um, but when I have anticipated something for a long time, I will just kind of pretend that it has not happened. Like, I still haven't watched the last season of Parks and Rec. You know what I mean? So, um, but I digress. The, the whole, the whole, like, point of the story is that, um, I remember when they started doing some U.S. tour dates a few years ago, um, maybe five years ago or so, and they still hadn't released their new album. And I just remember thinking, like, why are they even a band if they're, like, not gonna, you know, cater to the needs of their fans? And I remember, like, very clearly having that thought. And now, like, as, I don't know, as someone older who now works in the music industry, I think that that's kind of the mindset that people get caught into, is that we kind of look to musicians as being, like, these people that exist for us and not really as humans, (laughs) but they are humans, spoiler alert. Um, So, you know, like, why, now that I'm older and you know, have some more life experience and have worked in the industry for a while now, I see that, I mean, compassion is just something that we're kind of lacking in uh, providing musicians. And that bands make music for them. Like, that's their art. It doesn't exist just for us. But I think that that's kind of where we get um, off track a little bit. And we don't, we don't see the immense pressure that they're under, like, not only, I mean, songwriting's cathartic, absolutely, and playing live music is cathartic, but at the same time, like, we're asking, right, and we're asking uh, musicians to kind of, or especially songwriters, to kind of relive, you know, like, they can draw inspiration from, like, trauma they've experienced or hardship, Um, But we're asking them to relive that pretty constantly. Um, And on top of that, there's the added pressure of, you know, living a kind of grueling lifestyle because in, you know, the modern age, people aren't really buying physical music as much as they once did. So touring is the best way to kind of promote yourself. And there's also kind of the moral conflict, especially in DIY music, of, like, if you're making money from your art, then you're a sellout. You know, how do you maintain your values as an artist while also making money for that art? So there's just a lot of pressure that these people are under, and they're not met with a lot of patience or compassion. And I just started to see that and started to realize the enormous stress that they must be facing. And... I just kind of saw this need in our community that was not even being addressed. Um, And in our community, I see a lot of people that are totally fine, like, talking about their struggles with mental health, but uh, the problem lies in actually doing something about it. So, um, you know, kind of bringing the, you know, it's the hardest part of going to therapy is getting in the door. And I say that to people all the time, and it's totally true. So... Right, like making that making that first appointment is making making it actually going to that yeah. first appointment. I should it's, say. I mean, it's a huge obstacle. I even struggle with it because it's scary. Um, but you know, kind of meeting people where they're at, and you know, making getting in the door a little easier for them. Um, our services are designed for to accommodate like touring lifestyles uh, mainly. So 
you know, it just, we try to make it easier for them to be career musicians. And, you know, we don't think that you should have to suffer for your art. I think, no, I, I think that's huge. I always see you posting, you know, that's, I guess, kind of your your tagline is you don't have to be sad to make great music. And I think, you know, on the one hand, there's there's plenty of bands right now. I mean, there's so many bands that talk about, you know, whether they explicitly are talking about mental health or they're just talking really deeply about emotions and personal experiences. Um, I think that's really good when bands talk about like real shit in their, in their music, as well as in, in how they portray themselves like on stage mm-hmm. and online and everything. But you also see so many bands going into like, we are uh, sad boys uh. or <laughs> we are sad girls. And it's like, why? I mean, it also, to me that that stuff is frustrating to see because it's like, you're you're equating sad with depression and if if sad and depression are the same thing people i mean i i kind of feel like it makes people not take a mental illness seriously when they think it's like you know a little aesthetic that you can put on your freaking you're absolutely correct there and i mean i could go on and on about the like how destructive um sad culture is and how frustrating it is to see people trivialize really serious mental illnesses because you're right you can experience sadness and you can experience depression without having a mental illness but at the same time um you know when you're branding yourself as a sad boy or a sad girl um what you're really doing is you're telling people like because regardless like you your music probably you know you probably have fans and or you at least hopefully have a few people that your music resonates with And when you're branding yourself with that, what you're saying to your fans, specifically to young teenagers, is that it's cool to be depressed, and it's cool to suffer, and it's cool to be mentally ill. No, it's it's super not. not. Like, I don't (laughs) like being a depressed person, you know? Like, if I had to pick whether or not I had to be mentally ill, I definitely would choose not to be, but I am. Right. Uh, so, same, same. and you yeah. know, I think that we, we are, we have to be really conscious of the way that we talk about these things because people are watching, you know, we have a platform and especially with, you know, the prevalence of social media today that we have young people that are looking up to us. And, you know, if you're, if you have a literal platform and you're going to choose to use that platform to talk about things then you should be productive with your message and you should not be, you know, because being mentally ill is not glamorous. I can, uh, you know, I can tell everyone firsthand that I, you know, I never met some beautiful boy that wiped my tears away and like totally, you know, made me forget all my troubles. That's not realistic or accurate. Um, that's not how my experience or anyone's not experience has all. been. Yeah. Not so, <laughs> um, I think promoting that that's like a, a reality is dangerous. Um, and it's, it's not productive. You know, if you're going to choose to use your platform, you should be telling people how they can access help or, you know, that they're not alone. And, you know, you should like, I know a lot of bands don't sign up to be role models, but sorry. Um, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. You are. So, you know, they have a responsibility to, to 
promote positivity and to, you know, be productive in what they're saying. And so I will not stop until sad culture is totally destructive. Right. <laughs> Absolutely gone. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that's I think that's interesting that you get into the idea that a lot of people feel like, well, I didn't sign up to be a role model. But I mean, if you weren't, you know, if you're sharing your music with the world, you're doing that with the expectation that people will listen. If you don't right. want people to listen, you wouldn't be releasing it in any way, you know? Um, Absolutely. Some, something I wanted to get into. So what you do that I think is is really cool, and, and for anyone listening, I've actually contributed to this. Um, Punk Talks has an ongoing series of blog posts called Voices from the Scene, where musicians as well as people in the industry will share their own experiences with mental health and overcoming, you know, setbacks and, and everything. Um, and I think that's really cool that you touch on and, and reach reach out to and work with people that work in the industry as well. So something that, you know, this came out of a, a conversation that I had with a friend a few months back, and it really stuck with me. And I, I wanted to bring it up that, you know, like, I used to have this idea in my head that musicians can be vulnerable. Musicians can get up on stage and sing about how depressed they are or their struggles with addiction or whatever it is. But I really felt like people in the industry could not. Mm -hmm. um, and I had this conversation with a friend that was like, yeah, but, you know, ultimately everyone in the industry deals with the same shit. They're just better at, at hiding it. But mm -hmm. there there is kind of a pressure to to hide it from if you're someone on, on the industry side. And I was curious, like, where do you think, for people who are, you know, work in music, but aren't musicians, um, where do you think that pressure comes from to hide it? I think a lot of, I mean, that's a good question. And thank you for bringing up Voices from the Scene. Um, that is a feature that um, people can access on our blog. And Molly, I think you were our most recent contributor. We took kind of a break from it for the summer, um, just because the, you know, the summer touring cycle was going on. And like I said, we are an organization of volunteers. So unfortunately, we're not superheroes. But um, we, I think that... Uh, it was very important to me to include industry workers in the scope of who Punk Talks works with because, again, I think that music industry workers are a hugely overlooked part of the music industry just in general. You know, like, um, we, you know, I've, I've worked a lot with DIY over the years, and of course, you can do everything yourself, but when when that becomes unmanageable for you because, you know, thank the thank goodness that your band has has grown to the point where you can no longer handle day to day operations, um, you know, those things wouldn't be possible without your manager, without your booking agent, without your publicist. And all of these people that work behind the scenes do it because, you know, that's what they would prefer to do. Like, I'm sure if they wanted to be in a band, right. they could start a band. However, right. I think that you're right. We kind of, we place all this pressure on them and literally, you know, like the livelihood of a band on an individual. And we just, you know, especially considering like managers, you know, their job is to be accessible to their roster of bands 24 hours a day. They never they never take a break. So 
that, you know, literally the success of a band is poised on, on their team. So I think we can really overlook the pressure that those people are under and they don't necessarily get the same type of gratification that comes with, you know, oh my God, great set or wow, I really loved your new album or, you know. Right, right. People don't, people don't right. notice that. People don't but... get tattoos of photographers. You know what I mean? And like that's, Um, because I think that you know the work that that people within the industry do is so crucial and important you know like our industry wouldn't exist without them and they don't necessarily get the same type of payoff but um, at the same time you know I'm sure that like the people I know that are working in the industry self-included like you know I don't like I don't want to be in a band and if I did like I would I would start a band however um you know, they are under a lot of pressure. And I think a lot of they internalize a lot of that. um, And they put a lot of pressure on themselves to stay behind the scenes. So, you know, just kind of it's all about meeting people where they're at and figuring out like what what can punk tucks do to meet the needs of our community? And how can we change our treatment model to include the people that that need to be included in that? You know, it's we're a part of this community just as much as anyone else's. So figuring out how we can keep our community healthy and happy is a huge, huge priority to us. No, for, for sure. I think that's hugely important. So, um, I mean, something I, I guess I I do want to like backtrack and kind of switch topics a little bit, but, uh, I have, I really wanted to ask, I mean, for you, how did you, I mean, I know you talked about brand new as your favorite band, but, how did you kind of find, you know, alternative music or, you know, music in general and, and how and, and when did you know this was something you wanted to be involved in as more than? Wow. Thank you for asking. I don't think anyone has ever asked me this question, actually. Um, I, my love of music started from a very young age. Um, I, it's very funny now, like, especially when people know me personally, because, um, I grew up in, like, an Indiana farm town. Um, Like, not an exaggeration. My parents, like, have a farm. And my brother-in-law owns a John Deere company. And, like, (laughs) so I come from literally, like, the sticks. Um, And my dad, who is very, very religious and super conservative and has pretty much nothing in common with me... um, he loves the Beatles, and he showed me the Beatles from a young age, and I, so he shared his love of that band with me, so they were my first kind of favorite band, um, and anyone who doesn't like the Beatles can suck it because they rule, and I get a lot of hate for Does it. anyone not like the Beatles? Um, I mean, obviously some people do, but... I, <laughs> I cannot tell you the amount of shit that I catch from being a Beatles fan in punk music, um... But really? Yes. Really? Right? The Beatles write better songs than like most bands. Right? Say. That's um, what I'm saying. Right. Like there's but a reason anyway. There's a reason that they're the Beatles, but I digress. Um they were the first band that I ever, you know, they were my first favorite band. Um from there, I was always just I don't know, just really into especially the lyrics in music. I mean, even from a young age, I was like this big drama queen that was like analyzing all the words to all these songs that I'd heard. Um, but I grew up in a pretty poor family, uh, so I didn't really have a lot of access to, 
um, you know, there and growing up in a tiny town, like I lived 45 minutes away from the interstate, like that. So if I wanted to go to a record store, I had to drive an hour. Um, and of course, my parents were not going to drive me an hour to go to a record store. So um, when the Beatles were kind of my foray into alternative music, and then um, I was very lucky to grow up in kind of the golden age of pop punk. So I heard, um, and I'm assuming the reason that you asked me this is because you already have heard this story. Um, but I heard Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous by Good Charlotte on MTV. Great song. <laughs> Great song. I know that you're a Good Charlotte fan girl, which, <laughs> so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, but I heard them on MTV when I was 11. I was going into the sixth grade, I think. Um, and I heard the song, and I, like, I have a very clear memory of it. I just, like, stopped what I was doing and just, like, sat down and listened. And, you know, even today, like, there are very few songs that that have done that for me, that have just kind of stopped being my tracks. Um, and I just freaked out, like, I'd never heard it, anything like it before. And so that's when, you know, during that period of time was when, like, Blink-182 was... Uh, very famous, you know, like pop punk bands were starting to be like on the radio. Some 41 was big. Um, so they were, they were really accessible. They were very accessible. And so from there, you know, I started getting into other types of music. Like I got into, uh, Third Eye Blind when I was in middle school, um, was very into Green Day. And then I got into high school and I started dating someone. His name's Jimmy. We're still really good friends. Um, and I'm very good friends with his wife as well. <laughs> but he kind of introduced me to all the bands that, uh, all the emo bands that I have totally shaped me. So, and I always give him credit for this because he truly deserves it. Um, he introduced me to something corporate and saves the day. Um, I had already kind of heard brand new, but he gave me my first like brand new albums. Um, I, Jack's Mannequin, you know, the starting line, all those bands. And so my interest just kind of grew from there. This was also the period when Fall Out Boy was becoming very big. Uh, so I was a huge, huge Fall Out Boy fan all through high school. Um, but again, I grew up in a very isolated community, so there was not a DIY scene. I think when I was in high school, um, like, a few of my friends put together this really terrible screamo band. Um, but that was it. Like, that was the end of the local scene. Uh, so, you know, I had to drive to an hour and a half to Indianapolis to see a show, so... I didn't really have an understanding of, like, house shows or DIY at all. You know, I thought if I liked a band, they were the same caliber as Motion City Soundtrack or, you know, any of those bands that I've named that yeah. are very good. right, that are, like... Yeah, yeah. so I really didn't uh, even become introduced to DIY until I was, like, in my last semesters of college, um... So this, I mean, still is a very recent development to me. Um, and once I, I mean, I always really loved music. I never really had the desire to be in a band. Um, but I always kind of wanted to be a part of it, I guess. Um, and I, when I was in my last semester of college, I was um, at Northern Kentucky University near Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was in my last semester and I was having, you know, the same quarter life crisis that everyone has where you're like, holy shit, I am, like, I had already had a contract for a job. Um, so I was about to start my career wow. and I was like, 
you know, what, like, I'm missing my opportunity. Like, once I graduate, I'm going to start my job. And then, you know, like, I'm already, I was 24 at the time, and I knew I had a two-year contract. And I was like, by the time I'm done with this, I'm going to be 26. Like, I'm just going to miss my shot. Like, I don't even have any marketable skills to work in music. You know, like, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a photographer. I sure as hell can't play an instrument. Um, so I was... But you still wanted to, like, be part of it yeah, absolutely. in some way. Yeah, and I was just kind of, like, I was feeling really kind of, like, isolated, you know? And I was feeling not... I just, like, I don't want to use the word desperate because it wasn't, like, born of desperation necessarily. But I was just feeling like right, I didn't right. have any options, you know? Um, and then it just kind of, like, I just kind of was thinking about my, my skill set, and I really have just one, and it's helping people, which is a, a valuable skill set, and I'm very grateful to have it, um, because, you know, not, not everyone, uh, has emotional intelligence or things like that, but I was thinking about it, and it just kind of came to me, like, you know, I could, what about therapy? Like, I could give therapy to people, like, not myself, personally, but, like, I could do this, like, this could work. So, Punk Talks is born in February of, or I guess it was uh, late January of 2015, and here we are. <laughs> so, it's been, you know, two, a little over two and a half years. Um, I mean, what, you know, when you started, did you have, like, set goals in mind, or were you kind of like, I'm just going to do this thing, and I'm going to figure it out as I go along. Well, uh, figuring it out as I go along is kind of the way that I live my life. So that was definitely how I started off. Okay, same. <laughs> same though. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I'll let everyone in on a secret that they probably already know already that everyone is just pretending. Uh, we're all just making it up as we go. Um, so really it was kind of like, let's see if this can even get off the ground. And, you know, now we've grown to a point where I definitely have, um, specific goals, but, um, I mean, in every interview I did in, within the first year of Punk Talks or even the first year and a half, people would ask me like, you know, what's the future hold for Punk Talks? And I would be like, honestly, I have no idea. Like, let's, let's see what happens. Um, so we've just recently kind of moved beyond that point. But uh, no, it was, I really was not very confident that it would even take off because um, when I started Punk Talks, I had, and I am not exaggerating when I say this, literally zero contacts in the music industry. I did not know anyone. Um, I was just very lucky that people believed in what I was doing and thought it was important. No, that's awesome. I think that's I think that's cool. And I, uh, you know, and I've I've mentioned this like on previous episodes of this show, but like when I started my blog, Circles and Soundwaves, um, I did have some contacts in music, but they were all booking agents that I had, you know, worked with because I booked shows at my college, and that was like my first foray into music for about a year before I started the blog. But like, I didn't know any bands, I didn't know any publicists or anything. Um, and over the past several, year, several years, I've kind of watched this thing that I created, like, actually mm -hmm. become a thing, you know? And it's like people actually look at it and reach out to me and they're like, okay, we trust what you're doing. We trust your opinion. And it's kind of a – I mean, it's definitely rewarding, I guess, but it's kind of a weird realization that, like, 
this has become more than what I set out to do, which was like write about bands mm-hmm. I was obsessed with. You know, it's like actually becoming a thing and coming right. full circle in a way. Um, have you have you felt that that at all with punk talks? I mean, just that idea that what you have created has, I guess, in a way, taken on. Absolutely, I feel that way about punk talks every second of every day. <laughs> um, I I'm a big sap. If you could not glean that, um, I'm extremely sentimental. Um, it's part of being an empath, I guess. But um, I mean, I'm constantly just overwhelmed with. Uh, you know, the, the opportunities that Punk Talks has had. I, I've had several moments where I've kind of stopped and thought, like, holy shit, you know, like, I can't believe that I'm getting to do this. Um, and I say constantly, like, anyone who supports, uh, what we're doing or engages in, in the conversation about, uh, mental illness within the music industry is, I mean, people, I just, Sorry, I get very rambly when I talk about this. Um, Sheridan, people are constantly rambling is good. Like that's what we do on this show is we <laughs> we ramble. So yes, continue oh, your your rambling. Wonderful. Um, I anyhow, as I was saying, I am sorry. I got an email from my professor and got like distracted for one moment. But um, people are constantly saying like, oh my gosh, you know you. Like, you do so much, blah, blah, blah. Like, thank you for all your work. And I, I mean, like, that's just incredible to me that anyone would even consider that, you know. Like, this is me getting to, like, social work and music are literally my only hobbies. So, Punk Talks is my dream. And so I'm getting to live that every day. And that's very, very special to me. Um, We have had some truly insane opportunities and gotten to work with people that have really shaped my life. And that's been very humbling. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for the people who believe in our work and the musicians and, um, industry workers that not only believe in what punk Tux is doing, but, um, you know, use our services and, uh, you know, have gotten therapy referrals from us, have used our therapists that volunteer for us, you know, like we, we exist for you. So, um, it's, it's been a very, very surreal and, you know, kind of dreamy experience. I'm, I'm very, very lucky to be able to do this. No, that's, it's incredible. Um, I think it's, you know, I mean, as, you know, as you know, Sheridan, I mean, I, I am so in support of what you're doing. I think it's so important. Um, to, to switch topics a bit, so I know that, you know, you recently finished up your time in the Cincinnati, Kentucky area, and you just moved to Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, what brought you to Philly specifically? Ooh, I truly am uh, still getting my feet on the ground here in silly Philly. Um, Honestly, it was, sorry, um, I hope you cannot hear the car honking outside. I live in a very busy neighborhood and it's super loud all the time. Um, so I apologize, but, um, yeah, I was living, I was going to school in Northern Kentucky and, uh, got a job there after I graduated. So I was living there for the last five years. Um, and the plan was originally to move to New Haven, Connecticut. Um, my best friend from high school lives there. Her name's Molly also. She's amazing. Um, I don't think I've ever met a Molly that I haven't loved. So, um, <laughs> it's a great name. It's, it's a, a great good, name. It's a good name. <laughs> um, 
love all Mollies, backed hard. Um, but I, I don't know. I was on tour with uh, the bands You Blew It, All Get Out, and Free Throw um, in March. It was like late February, early March, and we had um, we had an off day in Philly, so I was just kind of wandering around the city, like hanging out with some friends. I, you know, kind of, I don't know, I just kind of wandered around. Then we went to a show at the church, which was very special to me because um, this was the first time I had kind of brought punk talks to Philly, and when I had the idea for it, I had... I was uh, 23, maybe, um, and I had actually, I was a big modern baseball fan, and they were doing those benefit shows at the church uh, to benefit Cerebral Palsy Foundation of Philadelphia, and I was still living in the Cincinnati area at the time, and I drove out here by myself to go see those shows, like nine hours alone, uh, like I didn't know anybody. Um, and that was when Punk Talks was just still an idea in my brain. So when I got to the show, um, it was actually very shaping for me because I, that was the night that I met, uh, the members of Modern Baseball and, um, also, you know, Marietta, the Super Weeks, um, and I got to speak with all of them and, uh, kind of tell them about my idea and they've been supporting us ever since. I also met uh, Caitlin Cowan who it now works for me as our social media assistant. I met her that night. Um, so it was very special to me to return back and the more time I spent in Philly I just kind of realized like this was this was the place for me. This was where I needed to be. Um, and I came out here on July 1st and it has been something uh, but I just I finally got a job out here so I'm uh, we have a super cool apartment and um, you know I'm working as a social worker in North Philly and it's uh, it's been very nice because I've been you know there's constantly shows here so I'm able to kind of hop on any shows that come through um, be accessible to bands whenever um, it's it's been very very nice I love I love that you mentioned free throw by the way because in June so it I mean this would have been literally one week before it was like it was June 24th so like one week before you moved to Philly free throw played Philly on their Ugh, headliner I know I missed um, it I was devastated <laughs> It was it was a great show and I uh, I've known their drummer Kevin for a very long time through his old band <laughs> um <laughs> As you, I don't know if you remember that picture. I sure, I sure do. Um, oh man, that yeah, was... yeah, great picture, right? <laughs> um, but like, I heard, I heard the Free Throw album the day it came out in May, and like, almost started crying in Starbucks. Uh, so I was really excited when they were coming to Philly, and I was interviewing Corey, and he just kept talking about how Philly is like his favorite place, uh, and it's. I mean, I, I don't know. I love Philly. I live in New Jersey, so like I can go to shows in New Jersey, in New York City, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like shows around me in Jersey are closest, but if I have to choose between Philly and New York, generally I choose. Oh my Philly. god, me too. I hate New York. Um, <laughs> I I hate New York. I hate New York. Oh my god, I'm so glad we're on yes. the same page. I no, I mean it's. This is my first time living in a city, so Philly was um, a nice happy medium for me. Um, I, I do go to Brooklyn 
pretty often. Um, I was just there last weekend. Um, my roommate is in a band called Grey Matter, and I booked a few shows for them around here. Um, you should definitely listen to them if you haven't. But um, I also absolutely love Free Throw, and they're probably like my my best friends as far as bands go um, within the music industry. I've done three tours with them over the last year, and they just man, I cannot think of a better group of human beings. Um, and their new album just blew me away. I'm so it's so good. Right, yeah. It's so good. And I mean. But that is absolutely nothing compared to their live performance. So, I mean... Oh, my God. I was, like, I I mean, I, I had my camera and I was taking photos and, like, you know, the venue let me shoot, like, the whole set. Mm-hmm. But, like, they played... When they played Dead Reckoning, uh, I, like, lost it. Like, I just stood there uh. um, and and just was, like, in awe. It was so real. I cannot say too many positive things about Free Throw. I mean, they, every, they've they done so much for me um, just as friends. Um, they And I, re- I met Corey actually before their set at Wrecking Ball in Atlanta in 2015. So Punk Talks is still very, very small time. Um, but I was... Um, my table was right across from their stage and I, it was right before their set and I was passing out flyers, um, you know, just about punk talks and Corey was loading, they were like setting up and Corey stopped what he was doing on stage and was like, Hey, my name's Corey. I really respect what you're doing. Like we should talk more. And a friendship was born. So I went, Incredible. yeah, I went on Incredible. my first tour with them um, last May with Tiny Moving Parts and Prawn. Um, uh, what a great lineup. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I hashtag blessed. I really have. Been. Oh my God. Um, yes. Three of the best bands in the universe. Truly. Um, so I've been very, very, very grateful for everyone in free throw and their whole team has been incredible to me. Um, their manager, Michael Crino is amazing. Um, I mean, just everyone involved with free throw is backed hard. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Anyhow, sorry. I, I could go on and on about how much I love, free throw, <laughs> but everyone just should listen to their new album. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I've, I mean, I, I wrote a piece about the record on circles and sound waves and, you know, yeah, I did I this, it. It uh, Thank you. And I, you know, I did an interview with them. So yeah, I mean, now you have two people that are telling you to go listen to the free throw album. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask Sheridan. So I mean, I know you talked about, you know, free throw, how you kind of met them, but you, you know, you set up shop and, and table at and sponsor a lot of different shows and, and festivals. How do you decide, like, this is a show I want to be involved with? Or, or this is a show where I want to, you know, set up and talk to people at? Um, well, that is another great question. Um, thank you for asking me that. Um, it really, I think a lot of it depends. Um, I, and I hesitate to say this because I don't want to place like blame on anyone, but, um, I've never been like asked to go on a tour, um, that I've been on at least. Um, I usually am the one that does the asking. So if, um, and with shows too, it really depends. Like if, if it's a band that, I mean, and honestly, most of it just has to do with like bands that I like. <laughs> so, uh, recently I set up my table at a Roswell Kid 
great grandpa and um hurry also played that show um and chris farron in philly at um everybody hits oh my god yeah at the cages um so Incredible. mostly like I, I mean, I just reached out to Roswell kid to ask if I could do that. Cause I've been, um, I've been pretty tight with Alex from great grandpa for a while. Um, and all of those individuals are people that I've worked with in some, like I, if, if I know that several of the bands or many of the bands have, um, supported punk talks in the past, like I, I already knew that Roswell kid was supportive of us. They, um, they contributed a track to our Silver Linings compilation several years ago. Um, Chris, I met at Wrecking Ball last year, so he is has supported us. And Chris does a great job. I mean, first of all, Chris's internet presence is unbelievable. It's fantastic. It's truly perfect. <laughs> but Chris also does a great job of like openly talking about being in therapy, which I love. I absolutely yeah. love that. Um, and you know, I've known Alex for a while and have been friends with her for some time. So that was a really easy one for me to just ask, like, would it be okay if I came and set up my stuff here? Um, sometimes bands come to me and ask like Payer, um, it, and Shannon Moser are playing a show in Philly in a couple weeks. And they asked me a while ago if I would want to be a part of that, um, and now that Punk Talks is a little bit more established, I'm getting more people kind of coming to me and asking me. Right, well, right. Like, uh, Snowden is um, in Cleveland, and that's put on by Bravo Artist. So Bravo came to me and asked if I would like to be a sponsor. Um, but Fantastic. That's because I have worked so closely with Bravo in the past. So um, Right, right. So a lot of times it really is just, you know, I'll see – um, a festival or a show with several bands that I've either worked with in the past or I really like, and I'll just kind of hit them up and say, hey, you mind if I tag along with this? And most of the time, you know, they're more than happy to uh, have me along. Um, and with festivals, you know, that's, you know, like I ha have to pay to be there. So <laughs> um, it's really a good opportunity for us because um, at festivals like Bloodfest, I've done uh, three years in a row now. And, you know, like, we have a following out of Michigan or, you know, like... That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. So it's, it's been very nice. Um, so that, I guess, I hope I answered that question. Really, it's me going to yes. dance and yes. saying, hey, let me hang out. And uh, sometimes they say no, and that's okay. Um, but a lot of times they say yes. And so if any bands are interested, if you're playing Philly or close by and you want punk talks to be represented at your show, you want to talk to me about mental health or you want your fans to be educated about mental health, you just hit me up and I will be there. It's fantastic. I love, I love that you mentioned Chris Farron, by the way, because I caught that tour with Roswell kid in New Jersey, nice. um, in, in Long Branch and like, Really, my only familiarity with Chris Farron was his absolutely hilarious internet mm -hmm. presence. Uh, but then he opened his set with Can't Die, uh -huh. and I just had this, like, transformative <laughs> moment. It was incredible. Um, I, I go And going off that, I wanted to ask, I mean, obviously you've named several uh, already of, of people that you know and have worked with, but... What are some artists right now that are that you you feel are doing a great job of being 
advocates for mental health? Um, that is another great question. You're really killing it with these questions, Molly. Good job. Um, I think, let's see, man, I wasn't really prepared for this, but that's okay. Um, I think that, um, the band Daddy Issues out of Nashville, um, they have taken, like, some punk talks literature with them on the road, um, so they, uh, you know, they promote that for sure. Chris Farron is, um, I think does a great job of just like talking about having a therapist, which is super important. Jay-Z recently, uh, talked about having a therapist on his new album and someone did he really, yes. That's really and someone cool. tweeted like, if Jay-Z can have a therapist, so can you, which is true as F. Um, but let's see. Uh, man, I'm like kind of drawing a blank right now. There are so many. Um, free throw is a great example. They really uh, advocate for that. Um, you blew it is another really really great example. They're so yeah. Um, I'm, I oh think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. If I can interject, yeah, no, as you mentioned with free throw. So you know, I did this interview with Corey that was like super in depth, mm-hmm. like talking about some some of his like really really deep you know, experiences with anxiety and and mental health and everything. Um, And what I keep telling people when I talk about like having done that interview is he was very like at ease as we talked, like, you know, he's, he definitely was putting himself in a vulnerable position, like to open Mm -hmm. up so much to someone he had obviously never (laughs) met before, uh, which is kind of the cool thing about being a journalist is like, all right, how do I get someone that I have never met to open up and hopefully say things they've never said you know that's the goal like you want to like get people to say things they have not said before um but he was I mean he he was so like well-spoken about everything um and you know he smiled a lot he we joked around a lot you know when we were doing our photo shoot um but yeah no there's there's definitely a lot of people doing doing really great things I think it's yeah I totally agree um I wish that I had more a more conducive list right now. Um, I'm kind of scrolling through my Twitter feed to see. Um, Adult Mom is a good example. Like, Steph has recently talked a little bit about um, their journey in finding a therapist. Um, the band Fossil Youth from Oklahoma, they uh, released, like, a... So good. Yeah, and they, so good. they released um, a fundraiser to benefit, uh, I believe trans youth I could be wrong but we worked with them a little bit with that um geez I mean there's there's a lot there's so many that have been great advocates for mental health uh just like mental illness in general but also with treatment um and I think every band should talk about it um because it's really important and if you are a musician and you're listening and you really want to find a therapist but you don't know where to start just email me and i'll do the hard work for you so if someone is you know in a band or or works in the industry and they're feeling like i mean if they're so this is a two-part question i guess if they're feeling like they're having a really hard time but they're scared to go to therapy for whatever reasons um my, my first question is, what would you say to them to get them to seek help? And, you know, the follow up to that, if someone is ready to seek help, you know, what does that process look like for you in terms of 
find like how do you how do you how do you find therapists? Um, well, I'll start off by saying, um, well, okay, this is a two parter, so I'm not going to get off on my tangent quite yet. But um, I guess something that I am constantly working on, like as a human being, um, is because I feel very strongly that everyone should have a therapist and that therapy is for everyone. However, um, it is a little bit of a journey. So, um, you know, and I say to people all the time, like, therapy is not one size fits all. So you could, a lot of people that are kind of hesitant or skeptical about getting treatment have maybe had a not great experience in the past. Um, and I've had therapists that weren't good fits for me, even same, as, same. Yeah, I, I as absolutely have. As, as recently as last year, um, I got a new therapist that just, and I was trying, I use a service called Talkspace, um, which is online therapy, which I don't necessarily recommend, um, as a first option, but it was what has worked best for me, um, just because I have a very hectic schedule. Um, so it's like an online based service. Um, and it's like kind of like texting, um, almost. So when I first got my therapist through there, I couldn't tell, like, is just, is online therapy just not for me or is this therapist just not a good fit? So, um, my professional mentor in social work is actually one of our volunteer therapists. His name is Ryan. Um, and he, I, so I kind of went to him and was like, what is the deal with this? And he helped me realize, uh, you know, maybe just try out another one. So I tried out another one and her name's Linda and she's been my therapist ever since. So she's amazing. Uh, she's been my therapist for the last year, but, um, I, some, so something that I've really kind of had to remind myself of really frequently is that, um, I can't force everyone into therapy and like sometimes people aren't ready. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all about them and you know, when, when they're ready, uh, to take the plunge, but I mostly just explain to them like, you know, even though it's really scary, like what a, a very, uh, favorite question of mine, just as a social worker is like, what's the worst case scenario here? You know, the worst case scenario is that you're going to go see a therapist and nothing's going to change. So even the worst case scenario is not that bad, right? So if nothing changes, then you just try a different therapist. You know, like the hardest part's getting in the door. So just explaining, like, there's no way that it can hurt you. Like, even the worst case scenario, things just stay the same. And best case scenario is that you get the help that you need and you start feeling a lot better. So, um, you know, usually that helps. But, um, at the same time, you know, can't force people. Um, second part of that question, um, it is so much easier to find therapists than people think it is. Um, so that's a huge, probably the majority of our work is spent just doing therapy referrals because we will never, ever turn away anyone who comes to us needing help. Um, so our first so even if, you know, if someone's not in a band, if they're, um, you know, just a fan or somebody that needs help, like we're, we're not going to tell them no. Um, that's not how we do things. But um, we, so we will first try to find a therapist in their area. So usually the first questions that we will ask is, um, are you a student? Do you have health insurance? And where do you live? 
And so, well, you know, a lot of colleges have free counseling services for students. So that's a really good. Yeah, I used mine. Yeah. I I used mine in college and it was so helpful. Mm -hmm. It was so helpful. I used mine in in college as well. And it it is very helpful and pretty cost effective. It's usually free or um, at my college, it was like $15 a session, which was actually pretty expensive. But um, when you're in college, at least. But most uh, schools have something like that, um, and a lot of people don't know about it. Um, or, you know, it's just as easy as Googling, like, therapists in, you know, like, uh, for example, um, I could type in United Healthcare Therapists and my zip code, and it would show me a list of therapists that accept my health insurance um, within my area, and you can pick and choose from there. So um, we try to refer people to clinical social workers because I am biased and I have a background in social work. Um, but really, we'll try to give people a few options. Um, and we have uh, we just added um, a, our resource coordinator. Her name's Katie, and she's actually uh, like my best friend from college. Um, she also is a social worker as well. Um, she's based out of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but she, uh, she does those therapy referrals now. She's also putting together a list of like low cost or, uh, free mental health services by city. Um, so that's a project that we've been working on. So really like we'll do what we can to find someone, a therapist, if, uh, if their lifestyle does not accommodate for that, like say they don't have health insurance or if, Uh, They do tour full-time. We can either give them a referral to one of our volunteer therapists or we can kind of refer them to some other options like online therapy is a very good option for people that don't have health insurance uh, because they don't require it. And it's it's a little bit more expensive but very cost-effective when you consider how much regular therapy costs without insurance. Uh, So, you know, we basically will do whatever whatever it takes to find someone the help that they need. That's fantastic. Um, that's great. And I appreciate you kind of explaining how it is that you go about, you know, doing, doing everything. Um, Thank I you. think that's really cool. Uh, one question. You're welcome. Um, so one question that I had for you and, you know, I've no, you know, I've, I've noticed that you, you know, you are, have been like very open about sharing your own story and your own personal experiences with, uh, you know, with mental health and mental illness and getting treatment and getting better and getting the help that you need. Um, I, I mean, I guess, you know, I have been curious, why have you decided to share your own personal story? And do you feel like as someone who is an advocate for mental health, do you feel like you, you need to like share oh, your own absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, I think the best way to, kind of make people feel better about it is to know that they're not alone. Um, and to know that like having a mental illness is not a defining factor in your life. Um, and I mean, I, so I have, um, borderline personality disorder is kind of my, my main, I, I mean, I have a slew of mental illnesses, but borderline personality disorder is my big one. Um, and, Personality disorders are often developed from untreated trauma. So, um, and I talk about this a lot. This was kind of my main focus um, in grad school, actually, is, um, you know, how trauma affects our ability to attach as adults and affects, like, our 
um, interaction patterns and things like that. So uh, with borderline personality disorder is a really interesting one because um, it's often portrayed in the media as like being literally crazy. Like um, it's characterized by um, a fear of abandonment and um, as, you know, like inability, like, like unstable relationships um, and difficulty with emotional regulation. And those things are all very true with me, but, um, you know, a lot of times they're portrayed as like, okay, if you break up with me, I'm going to burn your house down. Um, and <laughs> that, I've never done that. Um, that's not very realistic. So, uh, you know, when I tell people I have borderline personality disorder, if all that they know about it is from, you know, TV, then they're going to think that I'm like a dangerous person to be around. That you're like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, so... Right. It's very important to me to be open about those things because I want people to know that it's incredibly possible to be mentally ill and also like a functioning person, you know, like, yes, I am a mentally ill person, but I'm also a professional social worker and I'm also the mom of the cutest cat in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, Franklin is really, really adorable. Sleeping in my closet right now. Um... But, you know, I also am a fan of The Office. Like, there just are so many different things about me, and very few of them have to do with borderline personality disorder. And, you know, yes, of course it affects me every day of my life, but it's very possible to be mentally ill and also just like a cool person, you know, like a normal human. (laughs) So, you know, kind of promoting that idea and helping, because I think a lot of times too, people get very freaked out if they're diagnosed with a mental illness, you know, they're like, okay, well, this is my life now. Well, yeah, it is. But like, no more than like being allergic to something is, you know, like, it's just a part of, right. Like I, yeah, no, I I was gonna say like, I have, you know, I have anxiety and like, I have anxiety medication that I carry with me pretty much at all times god forbid i like have a panic attack mm-hmm. somewhere you know because that that's when i need it like as needed and i kind of liken it to someone with a peanut allergy carrying an absolutely epitaph. yes that's a very very good comparison it's i mean it's the same thing like you know it's it's a part of your life but it's not your whole life and you know exactly it, it sucks because a lot of especially when it's being untreated it can feel like it's your whole life and it can feel like you know i definitely have days when i don't want to get out of bed or days when right. like emotional regulation is something that i struggle with a lot in that um i feel everything all the time and like i feel everything a lot So, you know, I get, like, super psyched about something, or I get, like, very, you know, somebody will say that they don't like punk talks, and then I'll be, like, really bummed about it for, like, two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel that. (laughs) You know, like, that's, I mean, that's normal. Like, those kinds of things are normal, but um, I do feel them a little more intensely than other people, but it's fine because I just explain to the people around me, like, hey, I'm having trouble regulating today, and it's not a big deal. So, um, you know, the reason that I talk so openly about my own experiences, about my own suicide attempt, about my own psychiatric hospitalization is because, like, they're, you know, it it's a part of who I am, but it's not the only part. And letting people know that you can go through these things and you can come out of the other the other side of it and still have a normal life. Absolutely. 
Um, and I think that's a huge, huge point that you made that, you know, you can have this thing, a mental illness or a suicide attempt or, or what have you, and you can talk about it and you can be real about it, but that does not mean it has to be your whole awesome. life. And it, it's not your whole life. And it's the same um, with musicians, you know, um, especially, I think, completely. I think especially with, um, you know, people in bigger bands, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, I play in this band, but like, <laughs> I also have other interests, you know, like, I'm also a human being with like family and other stuff that I care about. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's no one thing that defines people, like that defines human beings. And I, you know, my mental illness is not going to define me and I don't want anyone's mental illness to define them. So that's why I talk so openly and kind of casually about it because it is a part of me, but it's, you know, it's only a part of me. So I want people to know that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to take over your life like that it's it can be just a part of it like it is possible to manage it because if you had asked me you know six or seven years ago I you know I would have I like there was just such a time in my life when I felt so consumed by it you know but it's right and and that and that happens sometimes you know like I I mean I've totally been in those places too and it's like I think I, I and, and not to like totally go off on a tangent, <laughs> but you know, like I'm I'm in a I'm in a documentary about mental health, and I, you know, like we filmed it. We originally filmed it four and a half mm-hmm. years ago. Um, so it's something I've been involved with with a long t- for a long time, although it hasn't mm-hmm. come out yet. And I'm I mean, you know, you you see, I'm like very outspoken about my experiences just online mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but. To some extent, like it, I, I think there can be a pressure on people who are advocates for mental health to like be like, no, no, I don't struggle anymore. I'm better now. I'm okay. I never get overwhelmed and consumed by things anymore. And it's just not necessarily no, that's true. Bullshit. That- <laughs> that's total bullshit. I still, I mean, I still have panic attacks. I still, you know, I, sure. I think. Um, and I mean, that's why it's important for me to be so vocal about it. Like I, I am in therapy and right. I plan to always have a therapist because I am a mentally ill person in like working in a field that is stressful. And, you know, like I am the Absolutely. survivor of a lot of trauma through my childhood and through my adulthood. And like those things are always going to continue to impact me. And maybe there will be a point in my life when I don't have a therapist, but I really don't plan on that because I, you know, I never, like, I'm not foolish enough to think that, you know, one day, like, if you had asked me five years ago, I would have told, told anyone, well, yeah, you know, I have this mental illness, but like, you know, it doesn't really affect me anymore. And that was just some bullshit that I was like telling myself. And I do think it's possible for people to recover. And I would consider myself to be in a period of recovery right now. However, um, it's, and this is just like based on, you know, kind of your personal intuition and your personal experiences and preferences. But for me personally, um, you know, I'm not foolish enough to think that there's not going to be days when I'm not going or that I'm, you know, I won't be able to get out of bed. And so it's important to me to have kind of that safety net of a therapist, um, to help me work through those times. And that's why, uh, Talkspace works so well for me because, you know, I can go weeks without talking to my therapist, but then if I... But then when you need it... Yeah, she's always right there. So, um, you know, it. 
I, I would recommend that service for someone who has a long history of being in therapy, stuff like that. But, um, you know, I plan to be a lifelong therapy consumer. And, yeah, I mean, my mental illness is a part of me. Um, and, you know, kind of figuring out how to find a happy medium with accepting that right. and also being, you know, smart about maintaining uh, maintaining your mental illness, I think, is is an important balance. For sure. Well, I mean, you know, as, as we're kind of really getting to the end here, um, I mean, I know you've, you've said you have a couple of shows you're planning, but what are what are Punk Talk's, you know, big plans or any current projects you're working on that people should get really stoked about? Um, well, we have I, we have a few things in the works that are kind of secret. Um, so I'm not sure how much I can uh, divulge. But, um, you know, we're, we're working on some winter touring plans. We will be at uh, Snowden in Cleveland on the 25th with, and man, that lineup is killer and full of pals. So I'm very excited to see Pine Grove and Pup and um, all those great bands again. Um, Adult Mom, I'm excited to see for the first time. And um, St. Seneca, which is a great band. Uh, so we'll be there. We will definitely be at um, Bloodfest again this summer. We'll be, um, you know, w- pretty much any major festival. You should expect to see us there if possible. Um, we're working on some touring plans. But uh, our big goals for the end of the year, um, we're working on becoming um, a registered nonprofit. So, um, that is a lengthy process and very overwhelming because guess what? I'm not an accountant. Um, (laughs) we are, and we're, you know, we're just working to, uh, reach as many people as possible. We are working on some grants right now. We're going to be bringing a volunteer grant writer onto our staff in October. Um, you know, just kind of working to continue expanding our message. Uh, we did make a Patreon recently, which I feel like very gross plugging, but I guess it's important. Um, so please plug it because I think it's incredibly <laughs> important. And I, I will say that I, I highly encourage, you know, anyone, anyone listening to this show, you know, Logan and I, uh, as well as some of the guests that we've had have, touched on, you know, our own mental health experiences, as well as, you know, the way we perceive, you know, stigma and treatment and everything. And, you know, we are such huge supporters of Punk Talks, and we really, really encourage you to, you know, sign up for their Patreon or donate. Um, how, so Sheridan, I mean, how, how can people like, what's the link for the Patreon or how can people, you know, donate otherwise? Um, the Patreon is just patreon.com slash punk talks. We do have some incentives. Um, so we would love to provide those with, uh, to provide those for you. Oh, Franklin just emerged from the closet. Sorry. He's being really cute. Um, it's okay. Dobby is, Dobby is my, my co-host um, today. Uh, nobody else is home and he does not like when I lock myself in the basement to podcast. Uh, so I, I figured I might as well let him join me in the basement. That was really podcast. nice of you. But he's been, yeah, <laughs> I told him, I told him earlier, you know, Dobby, if you're a good boy, you can, you know, do the podcast today. Otherwise, you know, you have to One of upstairs. our, uh, donor level or patron <laughs> levels, I think is what it's called, is called the Franklin. Um, 
Um, so people can also donate uh, via punk or via PayPal. I'm sorry. It, and the link to that is just like our email is just punktalks at gmail.com. So we have a little infographic on some of our uh, websites about exactly what your donation goes towards. Um, and, you know, we are a team of volunteers. So um, all of us are either students or have full time jobs. So we very much appreciate the financial support like that it goes directly into you know festival sponsorships we um we have three therapists on our three volunteer therapists on our staff and we are bringing um a fourth one on next month and we pay for their uh liability insurance so that's pretty you know that's about two hundred dollars um a piece just for the year so that's kind of the majority of our expenses, but you know, festival sponsorships, um, travel expenses, things like that. Um, sometimes we get hotels for bands if they don't have anywhere to stay, uh, things like that. So it's all, you know, none of that goes to us. Um, it all goes right back into providing services to musicians. Um, and you know, I would encourage anyone who has literally any questions about mental health or literally anything at all to reach out to me. Um, I love talking mental health with people. So I'm so, so happy to do it. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. I'm so glad that we could do this. Um, when we came up for the idea for this show, uh, back in May, Logan and I were first talking about, you know, we were going to do this podcast. Uh, you were immediately someone that Aww. I knew I wanted to have on. Um, and I'm Me so glad. Me too. Sorry. It took, uh, so many um, different tries. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, we, you just moved, you just started a new job. I do, you know, I have two, I work 40 hours a week and then I do my website, the podcast and all my freelance stuff and, and a bunch of different things. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of coordination but yeah it was it was worth it i think definitely uh well yeah i mean any uh any closing words um my closing words are please eliminate the idea that you have to be like suffering to be creative that's bullshit um call your friends out on perpetuating that idea call yourself out on perpetuating that idea because that idea is destructive and it's not helpful also, go to therapy. If you need help finding a therapist, I got you. That's literally what I do. Um, and, you know, I am so, so grateful to not only be able to, to operate Punk Talks, but to uh, have a platform like this podcast to talk about my work and, um, you know, some of the needs that I see in our community. So I would encourage anyone who has any questions or even is just like, needing some guidance with mental health to please reach out to myself or, you know, I have a staff of 10 people that work for me. Any of them would be grateful uh, to talk with you. We have a pharmacist that volunteers for us. Um, so he does a lot of like, he answers a lot of questions about medication, uh, does a lot of consultation and stuff like that. So we have a lot of resources to help the community and uh, would love to do that. So please, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. Um, also, Franklin is the best cat in the world. Those are my official I'd, closing thoughts. Totally. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel, I feel a little bad saying that he's the best cat in the world because I have a cat too. Um, yeah. But 
I yeah, mean, Frank, Franklin, Franklin's like one of the best cats in the world. Definitely. He's a, he's uh, a good boy. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's a very good boy. Um, well, thank you again so much uh, to anyone listening. You can follow me, Molly on Twitter at M Huddleston. You can follow the show on Twitter at perspective underscore pod. Uh, I highly recommend following us. I think we're really funny on Twitter. True. Um, and you, you, although he was not here today, you can follow Logan at a N I a F C Sheridan, where can people either keep up with you or keep up with Punk Talks? Well, you should probably follow Punk Talks um, first because I only quote The Office on my personal Twitter account. Um, So (laughs) Punk Talks is just uh, Punk Talks on all social media. Just one word, Punk Talks. Um, And we would love to have you in our ranks of followers. Thank you again so much. It was wonderful talking with you. Everyone listening, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Uh, remember, in Sheridan's own words, you don't have to be sad to make great music. That's right. Thank you, guys. Um, we will talk to you next week. <laughs>